Criterion Collective. Uh, the Criterion Collective is brought to you by the DAW Center for the Arts, which is a not-for-profit in Pomona, California. Uh, the DAW Center for the Arts services Pomona and the surrounding area. Now the world's the internet. We service the world. So welcome everyone this week. We are going to be talking this week about The Bicycle Thief. Um, Dave, you want to introduce the movie? Yeah, I'll go ahead and introduce the movie. Um, so uh, this was my week to invite on a special guest, anyone who turned in. You might be wondering, where's the fourth person in this frame? Uh, Eliana Carter was uh, to be our special guest today. This was her pick, uh, Bicycle Thieves. Um, unfortunately, she couldn't make it. Uh, Jean made the joke, hopefully she has her bicycle um, to go to uh, her special opportunity today. We wish her all the best luck in that and hopefully she'll be able to join us either next week or in a future episode of the Criterion Collective. But yeah, Bicycle Thieves, 1948. This is considered the classic, the masterpiece of Italian neorealist cinema. According to Britain's Sight and Sound magazine, it was once considered the greatest movie of all time. Um, its uh, popularity has uh, waned at different moments. Um, as I brought up last episode, uh, just towards the end, uh, this film uh, in the United States was known as The Bicycle Thief. Um, I think that's really interesting. Uh, so the so the proper title uh, is Bicycle Thieves, plural. Um, I actually prefer the singular version, but perhaps we could get into that later. Um, but yeah, this is obviously, this is a film that has not only inspired narrative film, but has inspired documentary film. A lot of documentary films have followed in a lot of the standards uh, set by this film as far as, you know, depicting everyday people, the struggles of everyday people, uh, not glamorizing things or, or doing a lot of things. And, and this film is very clever in the way that it deconstructs a lot of ideas of uh, media and Hollywood and whatnot. And, um, but yeah, it's definitely not all cut and dry. There's still uh, some humor thrown in there. Um, and uh, this is just, yeah, it's just an incredibly powerful film. If you haven't seen it, and we hope that you have, um, but if you haven't seen it, definitely uh, check it out. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good introduction, David, because I've actually been meaning to see this since my 20s. My first awareness of the Bicycle Thieves, Bicycle Thieves, the Bicycle Thief, <laughs> as it was known then, um, actually came through a movie uh, called Reality Bites, hmm. directed by Ben Stiller. And Matt's laughing because he probably knows the reference. Yeah. The, uh, it was Ethan Hawke and uh, Winona Ryder, who was the it girl of the time, the Gen X it girl of the time, and Ben Stiller also was his first film. And uh, the, uh, the character of Ethan Hawke uh, was reading... Heidegger's Being in Time and the name of his band where he played you know in the coffee houses and such because uh, this was the 90s grunge and all of that uh was called Hey That's My Bike which was named after the <laughs> bicycle thieves and I've so wanted to see this for so long and it's been on the list for so long and I this was actually my first viewing and I was just I was oh, like wow. it took my breath away it took my breath away like the the immediately like it doesn't take long before your heart just sinks into this movie you feel so much for these characters and uh, almost straight away and 
one of the things I also noticed was that, yes, it's got that neorealistic style of kind of that documentary feeling that a lot of films noir in Hollywood, even out, you know, just outside of Hollywood and poverty row try to pick up on. But what it all what it seemed to do was it also seemed like it was, it drew you in further into the story. And I one of my favorite moments in the cinema, the cinematography was um when uh uh, Richie is walking toward with his just his son to like the second bicycle um, uh, uh, like market and it starts to rain or it's already raining and all these bikes like a sea are like moving past him like this it's like you feel like they did that so deliberately to make you feel what he was up against you know, going against this grain mm -hmm. of this existence, you know, it was just, and I, you guys could have, must have noticed the Rita Hayworth that he was posting up, Rita yeah. Hayworth, <laughs> like the Gilda poster that we already, yeah, 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 Gilda, yes, and I just, I just wanted to say that I was just, I was so, like, breathtaking by this film, like, I can see why people have hailed it, it's just, it's such a triumph, it really is, I would love to hear what Matt, Matt's nodding a lot, and I can't wait to, no, hear it, you know, it's and it's a great film. I mean, I'm I'm um you know I'm such a, a hipster sometimes. So I would have been like I'm I'm gonna go with Paisano or something like that. I would like, <laughs> like, these too obvious, man. But, but <laughs> for classical reason. I mean, it it set it set it's you know it's it's set the standard for so so many other um so many other kind of like chicken uh, uh, kitchen like you know kitchen sink type things um that mm. not not just the Italian neorealist movement like so much of um, you know, like some so many films that came out of Britain in the fifties and sixties are also influenced by this. Luis Bunuel, uh, Los Olivados, very clearly influenced by the work of Tzika. Um, You know, there's, I mean, there's just there's the bicycle thieves. I mean, it's 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 a it's it stands stands where it stands for a reason. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful film. Um, you know, get into it. Start talking about some of the scenes. I mean, um, yeah. How about the, um, the, just even in the openings, like all the men waiting, just like with bated breath, all of them, and there's just so few jobs to go around. I mean, this is, so we can say this is post-war Italy. Um, it's post-war Italy where, you know, obviously the, fa the fascist government has fallen, but um, socialism is, is potentially taking its place, but really hasn't, you know, so it's more like you see the, the realities of the poverty of the people just trying to survive, you know? And so I think right away, we're sort of, I think that's our beginning of being connect, so connected to Ricci because, you know, he's sitting off in the distance from everybody else with his bike, just waiting and waiting. And when he gets called, you know, it's like this, I, I, I can, or maybe he didn't have his bike. Cause he's like, I can get my bike. That's right. Like he had to, they, his wife decided that they would sell sheets so yeah. that they could get his bike out of hock. That was it. And do you remember the guy crawling up the shelves with all the people who had obviously hocked their sheets? Do you remember right. that? Yeah. Right? Like we get a sense that this is so prevalent, right? This is like yes. very powerful, right? What do you guys think about all of that? Just, that's just in the first like 10 15 minutes right yeah yeah that we get her um you know debating with them or, or lying to them saying that the sheets are new when they're not they're obviously used we've seen them pulled from from the sheet um and um 
Yeah, and then uh, I think either just before that, um, there we have this quick little moment with him and his wife where, you know, he's very concerned about or very excited about him having gotten this job, and she um, was carrying these two pails of water, and it's like this moment where he, you know, double backs and realizes, oh, I'm I'm a jerk, and it's just this little simple thing of just the slight, you know, incline that she has to walk down. But you notice that it would make it more dangerous for her. So I really like, it's a very realistic and honest, you know, moment of like a lot of films would gloss over something like that. Just that it, you know, that she could slip and fall and, and that, you know, and that he's kind of like a jerk. And this shows just how excited he is over the moment, you know, that he's not even paying attention to the fact that, you know, he's inconveniencing his wife. So I thought that was a great little touch. And I really love Gene, like what you were talking about, because the very introduction does set up the urgency of the situation that we see that there are so many men who are jobless, who are looking for employment. And it just, it establishes the stakes immediately. And something that I think is established too, is the idea that, um, because this is specialized labor, we have different positions, you know, physical labor, maybe uh, bricklaying, I think might be mentioned, but that his job requires a bicycle use. It's like, it's like uh, this is a potential tool of advancement. I think that's what he goes over later in the, um, in the scene about him uh, or where, where he and Bruno are at the restaurant, right? He's talking about the figures, the money. He's actually calculating it in his mind. And I've had so many moments like this with my brother, who's uh, an entrepreneur, and he's always doing the math of like what could happen and like his hopes and dreams, you know. <laughs> and when it, when it doesn't pan out, it's always heartbreaking. But yeah, I think that's really like a thing about this movie is that I think that's part of what makes it so tragic is that you get the sense that this family has struggled in multiple ways for a long, long time, and that this is their opportunity. Something, and even, I mean, it seems absurd to us in watching it, um, you know, now, but even then people are like, oh, a bicycle, you lost a bicycle, or that's, oh, that's all you need is a bicycle, but for him, it is just enough something that costs enough money and is specialized enough for his his labor that it makes or breaks his entire future um which is it's just really really compelling to think about that i was thinking the same thing too because um and i'm getting feedback for so i don't know what um i was thinking the same thing because um i was thinking all the other guys i thought that was so interesting the way they set that up that these other guys had some kind of specialization. You mentioned the word specialization. Like it's it's putting up posters. <laughs> and so and, and 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 so his specialization is his bicycle. That's his asset. Right. You know, it's just like it almost becomes like, you know, I know it kind of sounds cliche, but it is so perfect that they called it bicycle thieves because the bicycle mm. is is like one of the main characters in this story, but in order for us to feel something about that character, like all the other characters, we have to have some kind of, some kind of urgency, some kind of purpose, something that makes it truly valuable. So that by the time, you know, in fact, you remember we were talking about when they trade in the sheets and then she wants to go 
to the seer lady. Oh my God, this woman who <laughs> has a real racket going. You know, yeah. like we find out later how much, you know, but we're not going to get into that yet. But like, yeah. like he, she wants to go back, pay her the 50, you know, 50 lira, you know, 50 lira and, you know, thank her that her husband got a job as if she had anything to do with it anyway. But, you know, it's like he leaves the bike outside to go look for her. And we're wondering, you know, I was wondering, okay, is this is the moment when it's going to get stolen? You know, mm. so Vittorio Zika gives us this moment of like a little, a, a little bit of suspense and drama, but it's not gratuitous because what he's doing is he's feeding our sense of how important this really is. And then we don't really know for sure now what, you know, we're assuming we know when it's going to happen. Now we don't. Now we think, okay, if this, if this right. happens again, maybe it's not. I mean, he, he, everything in this movie definitely has a purpose. And that's another thing I love about this narrative is that they, it doesn't waste time. You mentioned David, the scene in the, in the restaurant, which I thought was so awesome. You know, I love that he says, um, you know, I can kill myself worrying. Mm. you know we might as well go eat and then his son Bruno keeps looking back at the table and especially the little child who's kind of gloating because they all have their big plates of spaghetti their right. desserts their right. bottle as opposed to a because see we know in Italy if you have a bottle versus a carafe of wine that mm. means like you're not getting the house wine you're getting an expensive bottle of wine so everything that's being communicated here is really significant. This is like, a, this is a class statement. And then he does go on to say, yeah, you've got to make like, you know, a million lira in terms of our money. That might be, you know, he might be talking about uh, something like, you know, $3,000 or something like that, 30,000, you know, but, but it's like, he's basically saying we aren't in that category, but I could have gotten better, but here's why this is not working out. It just, it was really genius. I mean, the heart and soul of this movie. I think I read something about how it was awarded an Oscar. Did you guys read something about this matter, David? Did you hear this? It got an Oscar. Uh, no, I don't remember that part. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. Wow, that's that's incredible. For what was it? Uh, best foreign film, or I think so. Yeah, I'd have oh. to look if it was an honorary or best foreign film. But I read, I think I read on the Criterion page that it had won an Oscar, and I can see why it moved so many people. The relationship between the son and the father. I love when he. Yeah. I love. I, I don't love when he strikes him, but I love the son's response of like, "Now I'm not going to talk to you. I'm so I'm going to tell." And he's like, "I'm going to tell Mama." You know, it's like I'm going to yeah. tell on you. Like it's like the relationship is so real between these characters, like you were saying, David. And I see yeah. Matt nodding. I think you would agree, Matt, probably that that's true. Like it's so passionate. Yeah. Well, it's such a bad, it's, it's such a, you know, it's such a straightforward, you know, simple film. I mean, it's just, it's, people got to watch it. But um, I'm kind of curious, though, uh, as to, to David said, that he prefers the title Bicycle Thief to Bicycle Thieves. And mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious, like, what, before you tell me why that, what, what is the distinction, what, what are the distinctions being made there, you think? Uh, well, oh, what distinction do I think? Well, I mean, to make, to make that distinct, well, okay, so as we know, uh, uh, okay, so the the Italian, the, the literal translation of both the books. So, so I found out that this uh, film was based on a book that was completely different, not a working class tale, but the tale of a rich artist, 
using another one of their bikes that they already own to chase down the thief uh, of a bike that they lost. So, so it's completely different stakes, completely different class perspective. Um, in, in that case, a book, an indictment on the poor, um, whereas this very much a celebration of the working man, of the working family. Um, but yeah, so we know that there are multiple bicycle thieves. So there is the thief of Antonio Ricci's uh, uh, bicycle, and he may have had some accomplices. That's not entirely certain because there is a man who blocks him, and you don't know if he was working with the young thief or if he was just an idiot. <laughs> because sometimes in life there are idiots who will just have a rational reaction. Or to your yeah. success. How could I be involved? <laughs> Deliberately or otherwise. Yes, so so that could be the thieves, plural. Um, but really it seems, and he keeps on encountering the same young thief. He sees him and then loses track at him at one market. And then, and then finally he finds him, um, but still isn't able to get him right. So we have this ongoing intrigue with this thief, possibly an accomplice. But then, of course, by the end of the film, we know that the real heart of this film, the real message of this film is, is that sometimes the poor are, people are driven to crime because of poverty, because of need, because of desperation, right? Yeah. So we have a moral conflict that's set up and we see the moment of this man, this you know otherwise decent man. Now this is Matt's opportunity to say, well, just how decent is this? <laughs> you know? Right, he's our skeptic makes, part. <laughs> what makes Antonio so good? You know, so we have this good man. You know, I will say the choir boy will say we have this good man, this good family man, good hardworking man, um, and um, you know he, uh, yeah, he's driven to the point of of stealing a bicycle. Um, and it's this big moral, you know, crisis. This true, this tragedy, the death of of morality, the death of decency. That I think that's the message of the film is that poverty drives people into doing terrible things, and it it uh, it destroys, you know. That I think that's an ongoing thing uh, throughout the film. Even as we see, at one point, Antonio is willing to harass an old man who's only potentially tangent who's only tangentially connected to the bicycle thief but he's willing to follow him and grab him and shake him and I mean this guy's old you know he's he's old right <laughs> so he's shaking this guy and he's shaking this guy in a church which I think is is both it's a commentary on potentially on the hypocrisy of religion and the aloofness of some of these people that like, hey, you know, you're disrupting. This is more important than, you know, whatever you have going on. Although he never really tells anyone. So that's, that's a whole thing. But I think it's at one point, it's a commentary on, on uh, potential hypocrisy of religion, but it's also, um, you know, it's also showing the, the depths that this man has has sunken has sunk to that Antonio has been driven to such a point by his desperation by his need that he is um, you know becoming uh, a criminal or he's becoming you know uh, a madman he's becoming frenzied a disruption to society so anyway so that's a very long form way of saying bicycle thieves plural right but the reason why I prefer the thief 
is because even though it's singular, you can still get the plural. You can still shift of like, oh, it was this. Oh, I thought it was this guy, but no, it was actually like, this is the whole tale of how this man became a thief. Mm-hmm. So I think, and I like, and I really prefer that because I think the plural kind of gives away the ending. Um, mm. I mean, you know, I'm just speculating here because I saw it as the bicycle thief, you know, singular. Um, but yeah, I don't, yeah, that, that's the reason why. I, I, I think, I think thieves, it does kind of give away the ending. And I think you could still infer the plural from the singular, um, if that makes any sense. What, what, do you, what do you think about that? Well, here's what I think. I think that you're telling me that Antonio was a good man, but I'm, I'm tracking this guy's behavior. First of all, this guy is off like tying his shoe or doing some bullshit when he should be like reporting to get a job, right? He's got to feed his family. Uh, so he's got to be told, hey, man, they're calling your name, right? And he's, so he's like off playing tiddlywinks or something like that. Then he lies to his employer, potential employer. And then he whines and cries to his wife who's carrying like these like two buckets, right? Then after that, you know, they eventually helps her carry the bucket down the hill. And then after that, yeah, you see, you yeah, 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 yeah. Then he goes and sells all her linens. And then after that, you know, because she's he, the one who suggested that that she do it. She's the one. It was her idea. In the way of my condemnation here, he's <laughs> the one upon the bike to begin with, right? And then, uh, so and they could eat, so they wouldn't starve. Maybe, he's turning into an Italian because he's using his hands so much. Maybe if he paid attention when they called his name to work, he wouldn't have had to pawn his bike. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right. And then after that, uh, you know, he's doubled uh, over David. Right, 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 right. Then he, over. then he knows he's in a high crime area, not paying attention, gets his bike stolen. Well, it's okay. Yeah, that he's stupid. He is, then, he is then, stupid. That is one of his crimes. And then he, yeah. he had it coming. Then he he is very naive. Then yeah. he proceeds to shake an old man and slap his kid. So I'm not so sure that this guy is this hero you're making him to be. That <laughs> said, that said, that said, that said, that said, he's in a horrible, desperate situation, as is probably the man who stole his bike. So the yeah. true bicycle thief yeah. is capitalism. And his capital in this case the italian state which is employing capitalism and these everyone here everyone in this film is a victim yeah. i i would agree with that assessment that um the true bicycle thief is is the is the the economy the way that it's been structured so that we're constantly reminded that even the brothel that i think he runs into is far more lucrative <laughs> than trying to get an honest day's work. You know, something else that was very subtle, but I saw it, you know, when he was in the church chasing the man and there's this whole commotion going on and he is so focused. Antonio is so focused on getting his bike back to to feed his family. And that's his morality. His morality is Mm -hmm. taking care of his family. Can a good person be a good person and be flawed? I think the answer to this question in this movie is yes, because what we're being told is that the circumstances have a huge impact even on the best of people, right? So there's this the scene when there, there's all this commotion in the church and because uh, he's chasing after this old man who's had this exchange with the, the bicycle thief and, uh, and he runs past what would be the, the aisle leading up to the altar 
And we know that normally what people would do is they would genuflect and do the sign of the cross as a form of respect. Antonio flies by without even a thought because he's so focused on his bicycle. That's, that's now the goal. You know, he's not focused on, is God going to help me or, you know, he's, he's runs right past it. The two guys chasing him suddenly think the better of it. They're like, okay, we got it. Now we'll go after him. And even the little boy is like, what do I do? Oh, okay. I'll do it really quick. And then run, you know? So, I mean, these little subtle things are, are along the lines of what, you know, Hitchcock would have probably called pure cinema. There's not, it's not about the dialogue. And there are moments where there's no dialogue. You know, or you can't even, it's not important that you understand what they're saying, but it's, it's the action taking place. It's what we're seeing and what the filmmaker chooses for us to see in these moments, because you realize all of these moments are really significant in this yeah, movie. Definitely. And it is a statement because we know the filmmakers are communist and we know they're making a statement that, you know, what has the church really done for you? <laughs> like in this moment, they're like, what have they done for you except for give you a hard time to even get a meal? You have to get shaved. You have to go sit down. You have to be quiet. You have to do what they tell you to do. It's all about order. In. What's that? Yeah, you're locked in. Yeah, you're locked in. You're locked in. How crazy was that, that you're locked in? It's like, what is this, you know? So yeah, you can't, you can't, in other words, you're not going to be allowed to get your free shave and your free meal, you know, unless you stay and do what you're supposed to do. So there is that, there is a sense that this is a bit oppressive. This is not a happy place yeah. where you go to be hopeful. And with that, you have this so-called seer woman or with the two daughters who, you know, gets her, you know, has her has her hand past silver gets her 50 gets her 50 you know lira or whatever um you know first and what does she end up telling uh antonio do you guys remember <laughs> says uh you're either going to get it soon or never subito right away that means right away subito yeah. means right away it's almost like she's already told him you've just come and you're too late because right. in order to get it right away you wouldn't even be here you know yeah it Which is basically like the first 48 hours, you know, the first yeah. 48, if you don't find someone in the first 48 hours, they're dead, you know, so it's like, I think that's a general rule of all theft. She told him the most easy, <laughs> nothing, you know, explanation of any, yeah. Didn't take an oracle. You're like, wow, that's, that's the, you know, the one guy, she says, well, you're ugly. You know, we hear her say, she, she, she says, you're ugly. You know, <laughs> like, you're not going to get this woman. So let it go. It's like, you know, well, of course she already knows that he's sitting there crying in front of her. He probably won't get the girl. You know, it's like, it doesn't take a genius to figure this out. You know? It's like, she's just pointing out the obvious and people are paying her for this. You know, in a culture where they don't have much money to begin with. And you're like, wow, this this whole society kind of, it's sort of like films noir that point out everybody's on the take. You know, even mm. the church is on the take. This woman's on the take. The government's mm. on the take. All the people are on the take. By the end, he says to him, well, I don't want to get that far, I guess, because we're going to get into that. Well, you mentioned the bicycle thief and how we're led yeah. to that. What I found so interesting was when he actually utters the words, he probably stole it for the same reason you did. Mm. You know, we realize that in reality, everyone in this society, because of this struggle, because of this economic struggle, because of this have and have not culture, you're going to have people 
hurting each other like this, yeah. you know, for, for, for that purpose. Yeah. He's not a guy who's just out to make a buck. He actually needs your bike. You know, he did it for the same reason that you just did it. You were reduced to yeah. that, you know, in front of his own son and, you know, wow. It, it, you know, no Disney ending here, right, Matt? No Disney <laughs> ending here. Yeah, I also really love the, the scene where the, 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 the truck driver kind of helps him out. So he's like doing this good deed. And yeah. Then, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, then Mr. Doing a Good Deed talks about running people over. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and I go to prison because he pot, he says something about pot. So, and something else I noticed, there was quite a lot of dialect. This is another thing that's subtle to mm. to Italy, but we may not notice it. But for example, at one point he tells his wife that he wants to go. He's speaking to her in a much more familiar when when he's talking to someone else. He says andiamo. Andiamo means let's go. When he says to her let's go, he says amo, amo, which is more of a familiar kind of way of saying let's go, let's go. We also know that amo in some of the dialects of Italy, the, particularly the poor dialects, like in Sicily, it was Amonini instead of Andiamo. So what we also would notice if we were to break this down is that some of the language of these characters really gives us a, an indication of what class level they're at. Mm. It's really interesting. Mm. I mean, this is a very multi-layered film with such a straightforward narrative. He's gotta yeah. get the bike. And he's got to get the bike and he's got to get this bike. He needs this bike. And that's the whole through line. But all the layers that they're throwing at us are just, I mean, it's very moving really. And the relationships, like you said, um, Matt, about the truck driver. Um, and then there was the, his friend who worked like for the city or something. He was like, you know, working for the, the, the garbage. He was like a garbage man or something. Yeah, but he's and they all. They're all going, yeah, yes, exactly. You know, he's also that, directing a, a play. As a, yeah, as a, as a play director, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you something is not weird in Italian culture. When I was studying there and living there, there was a guy who was cleaning the street and he was singing opera and talking to me about St. Augustine. So it's not unusual <laughs> for <laughs> driver or, you know, to, to like be directing a play and talking about culture. And that whole mm. scene in the market where they're really, you know, it is that moment where he's thinking, maybe that's my bike, the guy's painting the frame. Like, you're so hoping, oh, you know, you're just yeah. so hoping that's gonna be it, right? You're like, oh, please, you know? And it, you, I, I think that is interesting too. Did you guys get to the point where you started like looking intently at all the bikes going, is that it, 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 you know? Yeah. You know, and yeah, that, that, yeah that's that's really and what about that guy yeah. at the market with his, that's with his son? He struck me like he was being some kind of pedophile or something. Did you guys? Oh get yeah, that? yeah, yeah. I had completely forgotten about that. That was really that's gross. Another thing with Antonio, yeah. he left this kid in the market. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, he didn't even address it. He was just like he just gave him a look and was like, "Okay, we're going." Well, you know oh, what, though? Oh, let me buy you a bell. Almost got his kid stolen. Almost got his kid. Yeah, because now he's yeah. and, and then the drowning scene too, where he thought maybe oh yeah, you know, was the one in when they oh. said a boy is drowning. You know, yeah. the thing is, I think that's also a statement, though, you guys, that when yeah. you have this imbalance of economy, yeah, yeah, it actually yeah. makes taking care of your family much more difficult in the most in the realist sense 
because you're so focused on taking care of them economically that you're right. not able to do what you really need to do. I think a lot of this is definitely a criticism of the capitalist system, without a doubt. Yeah. It actually breaks families up rather than bringing them together, which, you know, in Italy, the family is everything. The family is survival. Mm -hmm. We don't think of that so much here because we're more kind of a rugged individualist culture, but there the survival of the family is the survival of the individual and capitalism certainly wears down on that type of survival for sure. It pulls yeah. people apart rather than bringing them together. So a very powerful statement about that. And something about the Italian language too, all the other European languages that when they wanted a, to have a universal language, because there were so many dialects in European countries, you know, so I think Sicily alone or Italy alone has something like 83 or something like that. All the other European countries went to the capital, went to the university, said that's going to be our standardized language. Italy said, what sounds the most beautiful? <laughs> Florence, Dante, poetry. That's actually how Italy decided what would be the universal uh, dialect of Italy. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's very unusual. It's very unusual. It's a very, very artistic, passionate culture. And I think that does come across in this movie. I mean, even, even just the way they, they, you notice the way they move their hands all the time, you know, his friend, yeah. his friend, the garbage truck worker is doing this constantly. You're like, oh my God, I don't know whether to watch his face or his hands, you know, he's speaking yeah. with his hands so much. It's yeah. a very, it's, think, there's a I lot think of that level of that level of expressiveness comes to, uh, comes across the most to me in terms of the music. Um, oh. The score is, is gorgeous. It just has all of these different layers. It has the strings and it has like an organ. So it kind of, uh, I don't know, it alternates between something that's, um, you know, very somber to then it swells and um, it has all of these different kind of tonalities to it. Like it's sometimes it's more refined, sometimes it's more adventure-esque, um, almost, you know, um, Middle Eastern or, or you know, med very Mediterranean feeling that, that mixed, you know, culture. And um other times it sounds like something you would hear in church um so yeah and it it really carries through with a lot of that's one of the things you know this this film is very much known for its realism and um you know in uh in watching something like uh, uh battle of algiers there are so many sequences where we don't have music and other films you know where uh other italian neorealist films wouldn't have music they would lack that music or even in rashomon that there was a long sequence where we had no music so it was that lack um but i really do feel like the 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 music adds so much it's like you said gene it's such a simple story um and even though it is very um you know it it is, it is very uh it is a device it's just so beautiful and it just works so effectively and to call back to what you're saying about the ending about class I really love that moment of, um, you know, once again, all of these different crowds have converged on Antonio at different points in the film. He is, he separated himself from crowds. He's come into crowds. So he's constantly coming and going out of crowds. And this is one of the last moments where a crowd, you know, converges on him 
and they're all you know condemning him as this thief as this terrible person and we know he's not a terrible person or at least you know you and I know Gene. And so, but I, what I really love about that moment is that that group of people, if you pay attention to how they're dressed, and if you could tell the area, the area is by a stadium. So we know that this is an area of more well-to-do people, of more affluent people, because there, this would be very expensive real estate. This is in the heart of Rome. Um, you know, Antonio lives out in the sticks. He has to commute a far, far way in. And I think that commute, that's a big part of the story. Anyone who's ever lived out, you know, in the suburbs from, you know, far away from, uh, from a major city, they know that, that difference, that commute and what, what that story often tells about class. Yeah. And, um, they, yeah, they, that this group of very well-dressed people is, is coming around and condemning him. And you see just how shallow that their sense of morality is, is that it's all based for them on convenience. It's all how, you know, how casual the morality, how casual the condemnations of people with means uh, yeah. to, to condemn those who don't. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, just that that's just a great, 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 great moment. And, and of course, that's that's one of the best, you know, um, emotional turning points of the film where um, the man uh, who had, you know, uh, who Antonio was going to steal the bike from, um, where he, uh, you know, he sees Bruno and he realizes all at once why Antonio was stealing from the bike. Um, he instantly gets it. And I think that's that's just such a powerful, beautiful moment because we've had people, we've had various moments of empathy throughout the film and lack of empathy. Um, and I think that it's just a very, very quick moment. And um, and yeah, I just I just love how simple, simply that that moment is laid out. And even to build up to it, that whole sequence where like you really feel the tension, you see the idea form in his head. We see all these these people in their nice outfits, uh, you know potentially from the, whatever that sporting event was, they're coming and they're dressed nicely in all these bicycles. So like you were referencing, Gene, at the beginning, we had all of these empty bicycles, right? And that was emblematic of the search, of the desperation, of the need, right? It's just like, oh, yeah. it's funny too, because that reminded me of, um, this movie brought a lot, of, a lot of memories of my father and of my grandfather. My father and I, we used to go to um, uh, uh, junkyards and auto shops. So you'd go and you see all these car parts. So you'd be searching, you know, we'd be searching for a tire, for a hood, for, you know. So it was very much like, you know, this father and son that they're bonding, but it's, you know, it's more this act of desperation because that's, that's really why he's, he's there is to be that second set of eyes, that extra set of eyes, even though it is a liability bring him along. It's potentially dangerous to the son. Um, as, you know, has been brought up, he almost gets kidnapped. He almost, you know, maybe he there was the threat. Yeah. Um, Tells his father, you should have pointed out this dent in your bike. You know, he's pretty precocious, this kid. You know, you're getting the sense that he might be a better entrepreneur than his father someday, right? Yeah, like, I really love that. That that's our introduction to his character. That he's 
fully in a jumpsuit and right away yeah he's diagnosing the he's problem so young to be but the, the, the labor laws then were so different you know we wouldn't imagine a child like that where he's going to work you know for the families like what's supposed to be like 10 9 10 years old and i like that you mentioned about the affluence um to david because that was something that occurred to me was you know look at how he couldn't get one person to help him in the in the, in the less affluent neighborhood to chase down the bicycle thief who stole his bicycle couldn't even get someone to identify who were they where did they go did you see which way they went and in this very affluent neighborhood he was easily apprehended now this is you know decades later we get public enemy 911 is a joke <laughs> it's like <laughs> the whole idea is that it is easier to enforce an ordered morality when mm. there's affluence versus when there's not, because probably it wasn't just because people didn't care, it was because they were so busy trying to survive themselves versus these people who have the luxury to go right. and lay a hand of assistance to catch, you know, Antonio on the bike. You know, this is, and Matt, I noticed you kept, you had your pencil, you were wanting to say something about that because I could tell. You were oh no, you were just talking about, you know, like Antonio receiving all this grace, which is a lot better than Antonio calling the cops on everybody. I mean, I'm just messing around. The flawed I, hero. I, I don't think, I don't think Antonio's a bad guy. It's, you know, it's a, it's the, the, the pressures of society that, that obviously make it so difficult to, to manage anything. I mean, like, you know, on the one hand, he's got to find his bike. It's, it's his family's, you know, welfare depends upon it. Same time, he's got his son right there. And so, he has to make these split decisions and, and oftentimes he makes decisions that are potentially horrible ones um, yeah. that, you know, um, fortunately didn't turn out horrible, but like, that's kind of the situations, you know, we find ourselves, I mean, that's, 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 that's what, that's what desperation does. I mean, so, I mean, like, and the fact that, you know, it wasn't just a, an individual man experiencing desperation to, to the society, you know, builds around that. I mean, I'm just, you know, and so if this had been a communist system, would there be just bicycles lined up for everybody to take and use as they wanted? You know, something occurred to me. I was like, dang, it's too bad he can't rent a bike for his job. You know, he can't rent a bike. He doesn't have a bike. I, I, okay, so, so like my curiosity is like, you can't afford a bike, but you can afford rent. Like you can't afford this, but you can afford, like everything like went back to my mind about rent. Like, how are you affording rent if you have to sell your sheets? Like what, like, did you? How did you how'd you pull that off? Like well, I think you need a you need a, a shelter, you need a roof over your head more than you need the comfort of right, 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 right. So that, that's definitely a priority, but at, at the same time, it's just like I don't know. I, I don't think I think that like we live in a society where rent is proportionally much. I don't think people in, in, in different times were paying a third of their income on rent. I don't think that no, was no they the weren't. They were not. No. We my, my yeah, my grandparents came Ridiculous from stuff. Sicily yeah. different times, but they, they rented until they could mortgage and my my got my grandfather sold fruit you know yeah. so all the people in the 70s and 80s in this country were paying you know in, in the 60s and 50s i don't think they were paying a third of their income yeah. on and i think that that's something yeah. that was just accepted as normal and um, you didn't have all these security securitized deeds of trust where investors in another country could own your property and there, and that's who the people you're, you're, pay, you're paying to people who you never even see, you're paying to entities you never see, maybe the bank even owns it. Like during the whole Great Depression, the, the Dust Bowl, all of that, that was part of the complication. It was an economic com complication too, of how they took over the farms. 
yeah, and yeah. came to own them through through possession became occupation rather than actual ownership. Yeah, at that time, you in fact, you might have a landlord who was part of your community and you could say, well, I can't pay this month or I can pay this much or it was a very, you're right about that, man. It was a really different system than it is now. Now so much property is owned by large corporations and banks, people you'll never see. You'll never see them. And David, I liked what you said too about how it reminded you of your father. I was, I was reminded of my father when I watched this and I felt this a tremendous closeness to him because, you know, he was the kind of father who might slap and he, that his dad did it. And, um, and I didn't, you know, by, by the time we were born, it was like, that's abuse, you know, and my father's like, what do you mean? It's abuse, you know? So, I mean, it's like, it's just, it's, a, it's really so personal. Even the music you mentioned, I thought the same thing. I thought the music was so well-crafted and it was very, it was very personal. It, because it was telling it was telling us something. It was like the the music director was saying, "This is specifically what I want you to think and feel in this moment." He selected it very carefully, and that's another thing that's interesting about Italy is that, you know, especially Sicily too, which is part of Italy, you had the Arabic culture, the you had uh, you had Africans and Moors, you had Greeks, you had Spanish, because Italy was an important port. So you actually, all the things that you pointed out about the music, all of those influences, even the Celts, the, the, the Celts, all of those different countries and cultures were coming into Italy, all mm -hmm. wanted to take ownership of the ports. And nobody really won the ports. Italy maintained its own society and culture because basically what they said was, well, if you're stronger than us and you're bigger than us and you've got a bigger military than us, then just come here, we'll accept you, eat our food, we'll have sex with you, we'll make babies with you. And that's, that's how we, that's how Italy survived, basically. Um, you know, so I mean, I, I think there it, it has, a, it, it's a very passionate statement. I was, I thought too about all my grandparents went through, you know, I thought, wow, all of us, our grandparents would be so proud of us because what we're even doing now, being able to talk about film, living in the United States, a roof over our heads and education, this was the dream of our grandparents and great grandparents for us, you know? So I felt that watching this movie, what they were struggling for, what they were really hoping for, what they were all working towards. And I think that's so moving. I just, I thought, wow, you know, I could see so much of everyone's families in this movie, anyone who's ever gone through a struggle and appreciating that struggle, the way Bruno kept looking back and kept looking back at that affluent family, particularly the child, you know, his, to think that even a child can be so aware of economic disparities, you know, like that. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that, um, that was deliberate on the part of the filmmaker. I was, uh, you know, Matt was uh, uh, besmirching. Uh, uh, begrudging whatever the time, whatever the word is the character of uh of our good protagonist antonio but i, I really right, like i think her. he was besmirching and begrudging <laughs> there, there are two moments um you know that that really you know kind of warm me up to him or you know or really like you know uh there's there's this there's this great moment where he's so excited about you know his job and uh or yeah he's on his way to work and his 
you know, his wife is like, oh, you look like a cop, you know, in your uniform. And I think that's just really sweet. And he like goes in to like, you know, grow for a little bit, you know, on his way to work and she shakes him up. Oh, you're going to wake up the baby. But, but she gives him a little smile back like <laughs> rascal. Like I really like, oh, they really love each other. You know, like I thought that was really sweet. You know, that yeah. was, that was a really, really touching moment, you know, all, all the years, but the passion is still there. You know, this is, this is a happy man, you know, he loves his family. He loves his wife. He's excited to go to work. You know, he's, he's having a great time, you know, and I think that that just, Something as simple as that. You never, you, you rarely see that in movies, you know, just someone being happy to go to work, you know. And you believe it. You believe yeah. it. You, you, feel, you feel the characters. In fact, one of the things I read was that the woman, the, the actress who played Maria um, actually showed up um, on the set one day before they were shooting. She was a journalist. She mm. was a journalist there to cover the, the story of the movie being made. And I guess Vittorio just thought she was right for the role of Maria. And I thought she was great. Yeah. I thought she went right into it. You know, again, this neorealism. I love that idea that somehow, I guess the filmmakers, you know, I guess I can understand that too. Having an eye, knowing when someone is just right, you know, whether they're heavily trained or not, you know, it's just because MGM had all the polish, you know, this was actually the same year that this came out was the year that I don't know if you guys remember the title, White Heat, mm. but it was, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the- um, Cagney? What's that? Cagney? Yeah, exactly. It was the James Cagney film. You know, you'll never take me live. <laughs> it was like, like <laughs> Hollywood was trying to do gritty, oh. but with so much polish still. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. It's interesting to see that it was actually trying to capitalize again on this movement of neorealism. Because we know one of the first films was actually an adaptation of the James Kane novel before uh, the US could do it. Uh, there was a movie called, um, I think it was called uh, A Sessione or something about obsession, but it was basically Postman oh, yeah, Always yeah. Rings Twice, you know, and I think that was 1943, 44. You know, so neorealism was taking the risks that Hollywood was afraid to take, you know, and then saw how people were responding to it, tried to make their own version, but it still had that glossy shine on it. You know, this, like, like the Battle of Algiers, that it has no gloss on it. It is a story that tells, this is a day, this is the day in the life of one person. We see him rise and fall in one day. And as he walks with his son, in the crowd at the end, we're given to feel that this is a lot of people's stories. Yeah. You know, and what are you gonna do about that? You know, life is gonna go on and people are gonna continue to struggle. Yeah, and I kind of feel like, you know, um, uh, Elia Kazan tried to like recreate this, but with, 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 mm. with, with, with it's like, it was right for me to turn everyone in <laughs> politics. <laughs> but 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 structurally he tried to recreate that you know the, the end of on the waterfront where they're like walking into the sun oh. you know like you know like uh, another day is dawning you know kind of oh kind that's of, a good point you know like like that kind of like you know like okay so this day's over it's everyone's story you know and tomorrow we rise again and we'll see what happens tomorrow right that kind of that, that those kind of endings um of course you know hollywood um, often gives the disney ending 
Yeah, on the waterfront's a little more dramatic, but it still had that kind of feel, like, you know, that kind of, like, and tomorrow is another day, kind of. Well, because he defeats the bad guy, you know, the guy who's like, oppressing all the workers, <laughs> you know? It's like, one guy, you know, I could have been a contender, that's how he makes up for it. Yeah, I mean, this does not have that kind of uh, no. victory. Or that even uh, if there wasn't to be a victory, even if Bruno had died, if he had drowned, that would be a different moral lesson, but very definite. We would have had a very, you know, solid, yeah, death is always very, you know, uh, compelling in that, in that way. That, but here it's the death of morality, you know, and that, and that, that makes it That's more realistic. It's more subtle. Mm -hmm. um, but it's in a way it's more crushing it's the death it's the death of morality it's the death of his pride you know he loses respect for himself and he loses yeah. that his that you know a lot of this movie is is about masculinity it's about all of these moments where we see antonio and bruno and antonio is telling bruno what to do and bruno is looking up to his father you know and you see all these different moments where he's very disappointed in him or he's shocked or he doesn't understand, you know, what's going on. And, and Bruno will ask Antonio things and Antonio will, you know, either tell him something, you know, quick or he'll just ignore him, you know, outright. So there's a lot of like, one of the first scenes where that happens is where, um, you know, Bruno has been waiting at the gas station. He says, it's seven 30, you know, where's your bike? And he just, he didn't really say anything, you know, oh, hey, Bruno, did you break it? Yeah, yeah, I broke it, you know, it's just kind of, he doesn't tell him, oh, it was stolen, you know, he, so you see that, that, that father and son dynamic, that, that masculinity, that pride, and so that by the end, I think that's what makes the film just so heart-wrenching, is that yeah. you see this man, you know, he's, he's, you know, your hero, he's your, you know, and he's just, he's, or he's you trying to prove, trying to present that, that I'm strong, that I can take on the world, I can handle these challenges, and that a person that you want to project that strength to sees you at your weakest moment, you know, sees that all collapse. So it's, it's really powerful um, in both of those ways. Um, but yeah, to call back to something that you had said earlier, Gene, was um, so I really loved that that they chose Rita Hayworth, um, that those images, I mean, I think they were, it didn't say Gilda, but they were very Gilda-esque. I think that is the black dress and mm -hmm. uh, the, the sleeves weren't black. I think they were white on the poster, but, you know, and still it came across to me as being very Gilda-esque, which, you know, maybe they couldn't specifically say Gilda because they would run into but it's enough to present the idea that he goes in for the job and that there are these movie posters so immediately it's a different world he's in, you know his world is is a, a more plain world a world of poverty of desperation of people selling bed sheets of people waiting at wells waiting in lines for public transportation um and we go into this place and it's these big huge images and colors and even though it's black and white, we could still infer. And uh, so, yeah, it's a very different world. And he's going through the streets of, of Rome into some of these fancier districts. And he's putting up pictures of, of the biggest movie star on the planet at the time, the bombshell. The, the epitome of glamour. The epitome of glamour. glamour. Yeah. Of, high, of, 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 of affluence. Yeah. 
the global symbol of affluence as only Hollywood stars were at this time. I mean, we live in an era of, of the, of the um, you know, Mark Zuckerbergs and the, um, you know, Jeff Bezos and, you know, Warren Buffetts and all of these billionaire, zillionaire, um, you know, celebrities, right? But, but at that time, or that was a time where, where uh, it was largely these Hollywood stars were, were people's biggest symbols of, of wealth. And Very untouchable, much more untouchable than we would consider them today with things like reality TV and all talk shows. But we have to remember that at that time, the, the studio controlled the publicity of what we would know. You know, this was before things like Confidential Magazine. I want to get into that in a second, too. I hope I didn't interrupt that. I didn't know. I don't know. Did you finish that? Yeah, so, so, I, so, yeah. I was just, so I was just saying that. Um, so I think it's a very powerful symbol. And it also keys us into the world of the film, that the world of the film, you know, last week, The Princess Bride, we, we had a, the, the fictional world of Florin, which was this weird hybrid between a fantasy world and, but you had Australia mentioned somehow, right? So anyway. So yeah. the world of this film is a film very much like our own. It's supposed to be, you know, the real world of the 1940s, that this is the real world in which Hollywood is a factory of illusion. It is a symbol of wealth and it is a factory of illusion. And so that this is a real world, the bicycle thief takes place in the real world in which that, that glamour is contrasted, that this is, you know, this is the idea, this is the dream, and here is the reality. The reality is poverty. The reality is the man on the street who puts up <laughs> for very little money, uh, put these, puts these images up. And to tie into that, something that I found really interesting, really just heartbreaking about this film is you were talking about the, the actors who were cast in, or I mean, the non-professional actors who were cast in. So an Antonio being played by uh, Lamberto Maggiorani, he was pulled out of a steel mill. He was a turner um, grinding uh, metal cores, a machinist. Um, and because of this film, because of his, uh, his stardom achieved in this film, when his factory, he had to go back to his, he did go back to his factory. That was his plan all along. And, but because of his stardom, when they had cuts in the factory, he was the first one to be cut because all of the other workers thought he was rich. Because, because his image, that's the irony. This is a film about a man who endures hardship, you know, who's putting up these images. Now, I, I imagine, think about that, that, that his image was probably put up all over Italy, put up all over the world. So he became Rita Hayworth. <laughs> Rita Hayworth was the symbol of without affluence. all the affluence, which was common, which is still yeah. the case. I mean, I I have people who think I'm, you know, my husband's rich because he was a drummer in a famous rock band, or I'm rich because I make movies, and it's like, no, <laughs> not at all. It doesn't work that way. I'm sure people have thought that about you guys too, because you're touring poets. They think, wow, if you're right, people right. often think if you're famous, that automatically means you're rich. And those right. two things don't necessarily go together. That's part of the image factory. I mean, my God, at one point, Veronica Lake was waitressing in a bar after her stint in Hollywood. You know, the studios made a lot of money. And the same is true today. The, 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 the money often makes the money, but the artists often don't. Um, this happened in the blues community, too. Matt, you look 
Did, so did did did, did the Sika like, employ this guy? So like, Desika, yeah. So it's it's really awful story. If not, Desika, he's a bicycle thief. Desika, in order, yeah. I mean, this is really like just shows you how scummy that that's you know even social message artists can be. Is that Desika? I guess maybe they they had a falling out with each other, or maybe Desika was so dedicated to his aesthetic of of hiring non professional actors. So if he reused Majorani. Perhaps you know that would be too. That would be a violation of his of his ethos, right? So take away from he, some of the neorealism, maybe you know, because yeah. now how is he this person but this person, you know? So he only cast him as an extra for the rest of his films. Yeah, and Majorani turned out of desperation because I guess it was either this or Brickling. So similar to how the bicycle thief, how it's either going to be. Uh, you know, putting up these posters or Brick Lane, you know, going backwards in terms of the difficulty of the work that you have to do. Uh, it happened to Majorani himself because of this film. This film actually ruined his career as a machinist and it was either this or it was either Brook Lane or try, desperately trying to make movies. And Pasolini was one of the uh, directors who gave him a shot in one of his films. But yes, yeah, something else it. occurs to me about that too. I mean, Anthony Perkins had a really thriving career, but after he did Psycho, he so embodied mm -hmm. the Norman Bates character that he wasn't getting cast. You know, it's almost like he gets his iconic role <laughs> I mean, this was this. I mean, this was unexpected. Nobody could have predicted this. But you know, our Antonio does this role, and and people so associate the film is such a success. People love this film. So many people see this film, and I think it is perfect that he does. He does put up posters. I mean, I've been to Italy, and those things are everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the last thing you're thinking about is who actually does that postering. You know. It's, it's such a, uh, they, they didn't pick someone with the kind of, you know, specialization like bricklaying or like steelwork or something. They picked something that was so nondescript and some, something that just required this bicycle. I mean, it was really, really so smart. It was so, the, the, the narrative is so good, but that is heartbreaking to hear his real story that he was that he struggled because of it you know that and that image was a part of that struggle you know it's what sometimes people might my husband's called it being a victim of your own image uh for better or for worse anthony perkins i cited that example too this was definitely an example of that to no fault of his own of course that's right. usually the way it is and i'm i'm thinking about you mentioned how bruno reacted you know when his father was being mobbed by all these guys you know how could you you know how could you do that you know thief thief did you notice the cinematography they took the camera they had a lot of bokeh behind the it was very very like um what you'd call what um wide depth of field or whatever oh, and they right. kind of moved the camera around the sun slightly like this we were given to have a very deep feeling about this boy's reaction to what's happening to his own mm -hmm. father. I mean, that was, I actually, maybe Matt could comment on this, but 
was the boy one of the great heroes of this story? Bruno. Yeah. Yeah, no, he was, he was, um, you know, but he's a boy though. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he's, 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 he's a kid. You know what I mean? Like, he's, but he he's had not... some, he had some chutzpah, you know, the oh, kid yeah, yeah, some... yeah, but he's not, he's not, he's not <laughs> I mean, like, he's not having to make these decisions. Like, do I, you know, like, chase after dad or go get the bike or do I, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not that it's, it, he's not put in those same kind of desperate, you know, whatever, but like, no, he's, he's definitely, he's definitely got a lot, he's definitely got a lot more character and, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a tragedy. I mean, it's a really, tra it's, 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 it's tragic to see, um, a child having to, you know, tell their, their parent, like, you're messing up. Yeah. You're doing something, yeah, this is wrong. Yeah. It's a tragic thing. And, um, yeah. and, uh, he still loves him clearly. He's like, yeah. you know, let, let go of my father, you know, and they just push him away. Oh my God, the man just pushed this little boy away. Do you remember that? That was heartbreaking. Go away. You know, they push him away. He's trying to like help his father. God, you know, where it see that's that is really an example of misplaced morality, isn't it? Your 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 morality isn't with this child. It's with trying to accuse or prosecute this guy, you know, even at the expense of the child and saying how, you know, what kind of example do you accept, you know, set for your son and they're turning around with absolutely no empathy shoving him out of the way. It's like, wow. And they really, they, it's kind of, it reminds me of the Battle of Algiers in the sense that it shows you that there are definitely, definitely ugly sides of, of society, without a doubt. And that sometimes morality or perceived morality of a society actually really gets in the way of the yeah, deeper uh, issues. To speak of, the, of that uh, uglier side of society, so yeah, one of the interesting things like I had forgotten about the film is we have this whole sequence, this extended sequence where um, the, the community that the thief comes from, that the, the initial uh, bicycle thief comes from, is actually very supportive of him. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we yeah. have two communities that are yeah. very supportive. We have that that community, right? And you wonder, like, where do all these people come from? What are they doing? Like, yeah. are they all in on the crime? Is this extended? Or is it just kind of like this neighborhood that that's their thing? Is that they're very loyal to each other? And and even if they are, maybe they know that they're all criminals, but, they, you know, that and that they have to protect themselves. You that's how their community, that's the survival of the community again. See, that's, that, it's all yeah. about survival. How do you survive? Well, this boy is probably a good boy to his mother, even if he is a thief, you know? Right, so, right, right. Eat him, I, I did, right? I did like Otherwise, that. who did will take care that. of his mother? That she's very supportive of him, you know, and she's very much like a, a comic character, a comical character, you know, meant to elicit a laugh because she's, you know, watching them the whole time, you know, as they, as, as Antonio and the police officer go through, oh, no, I don't mind. Go ahead, you know, look under the bed, you know. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He knows that he's already long gotten rid of it, right? Yeah, yeah. She has all these, you know, funny reactions to it. But, and then I did, I did find that interesting. Like, I, I'd like to hear Matt's take on this because it was like for, 
I had forgotten that the that the film did have this other kind of flavor, right? Because if you have that, they are all criminals, and they're like you said, Gene. There is something kind of sympathetic about them, but then, you know, the fact that when the thief is grabbed, he starts convulsing, you know, right away, and it's yes. like that, like he's faking it. He's faking yeah. convulsions, and it's like so all of a sudden that becomes very much you know, like this idea of like, all oh, this, you know, there's this underclass and they're all schemers, you know, even, you know, when confronted by morality, they try to scheme that way. So they're thieves and they're, you know, and they're cowards and schemers. And um, the guy in the window who said, he, he was like, I was going to dump, dump this on him, dump water on him or something like this. Remember that? It's like, <laughs> my God, you know, it's like so there wasn't, there was a bit of comedy in there, in the tragedy there. there you're right about that. And yeah. you did get the sense that he was, at first you weren't sure if he was faking, but then as soon as they were like, okay, get up, you know, and, and, and he was like, okay, you know, this is like, no, you were probably faking it. I think you probably were. Um, and that was also yeah. the sad reality, wasn't it? That so opportunistic, the survival, survival uh, is so opportunistic. And this is, this becomes, this is part of the capitalist society now. Survival becomes so opportunistic that people will steal, not from wealthy people, but from people who are as poor as they are. Right, right, right. I mean, that's right, right. that's the other aspect of that. Clearly, he's a he's make he's hanging posters. He's not a rich guy, mm -hmm. and he doesn't have much choice but to leave his bicycle. It's too bad. I thought to myself, it's too bad they didn't have some kind of locking mechanism, so he couldn't even if he could grab the bike, he couldn't ride off on it or something. It had like a lock on the tire or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, you keep thinking, but we have to remember this was a different kind of time, and but yeah, that yeah. was. I mean, was, you could you could also write it off to it being his first day, you know, and he's so happy that he's just not even thinking about that. And you have nerves on your first day of work too, so you're not necessarily, you know, checking all the boxes. He's also in an area where there are lots of people around, so you might figure that this couldn't happen. People, oh. Yeah, which is the irony too of like, um, to, you know, when he does steal the bike, like it's one of the worst scenarios that he could possibly pick. I was thinking about this, you know, what a crime, his stupidity. And, you know, he yeah. chose, he chose a really poor moment to be a thief in a really bad manner in which to, use, to do so. He picked the cul-de-sac. <laughs> I was trying to figure out the lay of the land. He picked the cul-de-sac, so he's hemmed in on one side already, right? Um, he's not a professional, clearly. He's like not the other a professional. The bike is in clear daylight, even more well lit than where he was. There's not a lot of cross traffic and a lot of exit points. So, you know, where, where he had his bike stolen, there were like, it was a major intersection with four or five different outlets. There was a tunnel, there was, the, you know, other places, right? He chose a place that where there was only one way out and maybe, you know, some outlets, but very far away. Um, very well you know seen and and there had actually been people on the balcony of that building <laughs> we had seen them so they might have even still be on it you know mm -hmm. he chose a really really bad <laughs> do you remember but right before his bike got stolen too there were like a couple of guys who walked by kind of nodding to each other like this and then another like a lot of unspoken things were going on that you got the sense that this was a this was a theft ring you know, right, the, people, right. the people who stole from him were clearly professionals. He was just a desperate guy. 
you know, you're absolutely right. His, his attempt, I thought the same thing. I'm like, there's no way this is going to succeed. He has like one, two ways out, but he can't go the way he came because there's yeah. all these people on bikes over there who could catch him. He's trying to get, you know, around a corner. We can't see what's back there, but it's obviously a narrow space, mm-hmm. you know, and there are people get him, you know, right away. Yeah. There's just, he, there. Oh, but this, and this that always was- makes me think of something like, like I really, yeah, this is something delicious. Like, like, I don't know how fascinating it would be for us to have a conversation about whether or not we've ever stolen anything. Cause I, myself, I wish I had a good tale of stealing something, but I, I'm such a, I'm such a choir boy. I don't think I have, I think in confession, when I used to confess, I, I would lie that I had stolen things just to have something to confess. <laughs> so I would have to, you know, I would have to sin. And that was the writer in you coming up with a my good story. But, um, How about you, Matt? Did but, you ever? Yeah. Have you ever? I mean, I'm not, not going to admit it on a, <laughs> a woman. You're probably safe now, you know. Uh, uh, a, a, a stray heart maybe. or two. I've stolen His a heart. <laughs> I would say maybe I have. But I think this this more that this whole moment of the end spoke more of towards like a resentment that I've had of where like you've seen in your life people get away with certain things that yeah. people they complain and they get the extra portion they you know yeah. they steal and they get to keep what they steal. they do it all they the time lazy. they get away with it you do it once and you're busted you know I'll tell you. In, there are there are there's there's something in in Rome too where it a, like if a woman she'll probably look gypsy she'll try to have you hold her baby the the, the whole thing is while you're holding the if you take the baby don't take the baby if you take the baby if you're holding the baby she goes through your pockets while you're holding the baby believing that you're not going to oh, drop the baby right right and right. then and then before you know it it's over there's a, yeah also something uh even more professional in naples what they do is they have these gutted suitcases that have springs in the bottom and someone walks up to your suitcase plunk, walks off with their suitcase before you even know what's happened i have not had this happen to me personally wow. but i've had at least three people i know who have had professional thieves in italy steal them like rob them blind in front of a huge in front of many many people and it was too late before they realized uh what had happened or they just couldn't do anything about it um so one of the things we have to take into account then is we're used to a sense that there's some kind of you know civilized sense of crime here you know people have to plan and plot and they have to do it late at night and they sneak into your house so that's why you should have an alarm blah 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 but in italy this criminal behavior is not so unusual and it's very organized it's very organized so just knowing that that's another reason we can forgive antonio because he lives with this day in and day out. If he lived his whole life, like uh, somebody's gonna rob me at any minute, he wouldn't even step outside his house. So that gives us a little bit of a window of sympathy to the culture he's living in. It's part of the culture he, he lives in. 
there are no doubt in, in, in 1948, 49, yeah. Italy, there no doubt would have been gypsies who but, you know, regularly stole from people. You know, here's the thing. I like, I'm hearing what David's saying about like, you know, people getting away with stuff, this, that, which is why, you know, you keep making jokes about me, but that is why I believe in immediate retribution. <laughs> like if you wrong me, I will get you back immediately. So you're so what you're saying is you're you're either you're either going to get your retribution right away or not at all. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm gonna get okay. I'm gonna get immediately. That's, right that's what the, that's what our Connor is. If you are too powerful, right. right? You're going on a list, and I will get you <sighs> eventually. And there are people on this list, yeah. And I and I will get them. I'm just not powerful enough right now. When I get you. <laughs> I'm going to come from a position of power, not as somebody crying for justice, not as somebody, oh, you've wronged me and I'm, it was wrong. And now I'm going to tell everyone how you know, when I come back to you, you will know my name is the Lord, <laughs> my vengeance upon thee. It is called, what I, I call it the Prince Ali. The you blasphemy. No, you meet, me as, you meet me as Aladdin, right? You know the the poor street beggar, whatever. But I will return as Prince Ali, <laughs> and might is he? <laughs> I get nervous. No, it's it's no, it's true. Like it's true. The, the, the moral of this story is don't make Matt mad because no, <laughs> no, no, sitting here talking about no, it's a beautiful story about a, a person far better than me, uh, who who was wrong, right? But I'm saying like you know like I, you know to to avoid. What David Romero here is talking about, this feeling of like, like it's an unjust world and it rewards unjust people and da 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 da. da. Don't be I have unjust. felt that. Don't be unjust, but crush the unjust. <laughs> Today, tomorrow, a week from now, a year from now, make sure they get their comeuppance and make sure it comes by your hand. Otherwise, you're gonna be walking around wounded and bitter, right? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a bitter person because I. Don't <laughs> Okay, so uh, this ties into something that I remember. I don't know if Matt remembers this, but he was talking about this kind of thing and people wronging, mm. and you know, he's gonna go out and crush him. And I was like, Well, what about forgiveness? He's like, Gene Yoga won't do it. I was like, Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> like, I wasn't talking about yoga, but okay. You know. So wait, so wait, so what you're saying Matt, is that Antonio should have, you know, founded a, a nice neighborhood organization to help him take care of these problems. <laughs> like uh, I kept wondering if the black hand was going to show up. I did wonder if some mountain guy was going to show up. Okay, 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 okay. All right. So like, let's compare Antonio to uh, to Don Corleone, right? Don Corleone <laughs> took care of his shit. Like you know, like and like you didn't see him crying. You didn't see him whining. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, so he set the conditions where his son gets shot. Okay, fine. Right, but, right, right. you know, he didn't see his, like, crying in front of his son holding his hand. No. He said, Daddy loves you very much. You know, like, you know, he's, you know, <laughs> you know like, and of course, he set, you know, he set the conditions where, you know, uh, one of his sons get murdered by his enemies. His other son's going to kill his other son. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. uh, his other son's going to have his son-in-law killed. So, yeah. yeah, there's some complications, but those are done wrong, <laughs> right? And so, like, <laughs> in that wow. moment, this is a they did become thing. a very successful family. They did not starve, you know. So, hey, there you go. 
This is a and we don't know that Burrow doesn't go off and you know get shot or shoot someone else. I mean, we don't know that. Right, right. <laughs> At a much lower stake. No, I'm just saying. I'm saying. I don't this know is this jaguar yeah. thing that I've been hearing so much about. No, what I'm you're... saying, what I'm saying is, when people, when what, when, when I hear, all I'm saying is that, in order to avoid what you're talking about, and this is independent <laughs> of the movie, right? Was oh, this is unjust, and oh, this person did that, oh, this person did that, oh, people are stealing my ideas, stuff like that. The last person oh. to steal an idea from me suffered for it, and then not only did they oh. suffer for it, not only did they take a, not only did they take a, 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 a reputation for it. After that, I had them running articles about how great I am, right? Because then they had to make, you know, then they had to make, then they had to make uh, what do you call it, the restitution for it. So, <laughs> like, nope, nobody, nobody steals ideas from me. So, you know, the people who stole from me, I just want them to pay me. That's There's what I want. I want them. Everyone out there who's stolen from me, and you know who you are. <laughs> I'm not gonna name you by name, okay? But you know who you are. You should pay me. I don't even care if you credit me, but you better pay me. Yeah. Well, yeah. Insane. Right, right. I mean, something it. is in the air. I mean, this yeah. is this is powerful stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> we too are victims of this bicycle. Never going against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> I want my bicycle back. I want my bicycle. I want my bicycle back. <laughs> I don't know where to go from here. Yeah, I can learn from that. I I tend to be more forgiving. I tend to be the, I tend to walk the way of forgiveness, which yes, sometimes ends up, you know, I end up licking my wounds and so forth. Yeah, Matt is not that type at all. He's like, I will get you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I come from a school, of, I come from a school of bitterness, of, of feeling that <laughs> one is robbed. And, it doesn't uh, show, but, David. But, but the bitterness, I, I, yeah, it doesn't manifest as, 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 as uh, forgiveness or necessarily a, a thirst for vengeance, but just a, just an utter compelling crushing self-hatred for you should have known. You should have That's hard. Know. Yeah. No, I understand that. <laughs> Blaming yourself for the victimization. You a walk on that bike. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. your fault. Yeah. I spent <laughs> about six months once going through that and so i think that's see and that's one of the reasons i think we can feel so much for antonio can't we right and, David, right. and now you know better <laughs> and now you do know better so go out and get your vengeance <laughs> now wait a minute i had to control my will from from doing harm to a couple of people i was like so upset about it but i yeah no i i don't know if people look this is Disclaimer here, everybody. Criterion Collective is not necessarily advocating violence here, no. but Matt has his way of doing things. You've got to understand. Um, I, I guess it's, you know what? I would never, I guess that's why I also feel such an empathy to Antonio because I wouldn't want to, with everything I've now experienced in my life, it's very hard to tell someone how they should go through the battles of life. Life is difficult. Life is very difficult. And if you have gotten this far, I remember my, last year on my like, I live this long. It's like, oh my God, this is awesome. You know, it's like, this is not an easy world to survive. And it's very, there are some situations where I think I'm kind of like, mm, but it's, it is hard to judge people. It becomes harder and harder to judge people. Uh, overall. Um, obviously, there are some very extreme circumstances where you're going to do that. 
But for the most part, I think how you heal through your wounds, it's pretty personal stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, it's certainly hard to judge in this situation. I, I completely understand how he was driven to that desperation because I think he also realized in that moment that he was probably never going to get his bike back. He was right, not going right. to get his bike back. It wasn't going to happen. And he couldn't afford to buy a new one. And he so wanted have, to keep his job. So we have com so a few comments in the comments section. Excellent. Ones that I could see. Uh, most recent ones, someone talking about uh, Catholic guilt. Uh, and someone else said, <laughs> it was very Nietzschean to rationalize your response based on what you can do to your enemies. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> rationalize okay what can i do at this point <laughs> if you're not at a point of if you're not at a point of strength it doesn't matter if you're right you gotta you gotta wait till you're strong enough you know <laughs> you're a patient man grasshopper i'll tell you oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well because i write it down <laughs> and i think about it and i wear and so i don't get mad i'm like okay eventually you know this will be this this account will be restored you know it's you've you've stolen my bike okay I will get my bike back. And not only will I get my bike back from you, I'm also going to take, you know, your bell or something like that. You know, I'm not like, whatever it was you did, I'm going to do it a tiny bit more. So you don't do it again. So I also think that Catholic guilt. So I think a bike and an ice cream cone, you know, like whatever. All right, I have something to say. Bonus. I have something to say about Catholic guilt. Now, guilt can get a bad rap. In some cases, I'm not against it, especially if someone's done something wrong. Shame is another story. Shame, I'm not for shame. Shame says I'm not worth it. Guilt says I've done something wrong. Yeah, so yeah. So they are yeah. different. Now, that said, I, I recently learned about the etymology of the word sin. Sin sans. Sans the Latin. It does literally mean guilt, but it's, it actually is a translation. The original words, I think it's harmonia and... Uh, Shatta, the he, the Greek and Hebrew respectively, what they what those words really meant that were translated to the word sin or guilt, it was a term in archery that meant miss the mark. Mm. God being the mark. If you miss the mark, if you miss out on God, that's the real sin. So guilt, yes, has been used in some cases as a means of control. Um, but I think uh, we can recognize that that's just another bad translation. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, I clearly Matt has risen above any sense of um, My approach is slightly different, but I admire his. I mean, it's just, I think it's also what fits your personal character. But good comment about the Catholic guilt. We certainly saw that aspect of that. Um, in the movie, you know, how dare you do this in a church? Well, yeah, but, you know, he's actually trying to do something that's very valiant by, you know, he's got his son, he wants to take care of his family. <laughs> What's that? What did he say? You think he's doing something valiant, shaking the old man? <laughs> no, I meant taking yeah. care of his son. You know, cough it up. Give me that bike. Well, okay, now wait. But that bears the question. Now, I'm someone who doesn't necessarily believe that the, you know, the end justifies the means, but there are some who do. And what's your guys' opinion on that? Does the, does the end justify the means? Well, I think it's easy to, uh, you know, confuse, confuse what, what the means are. And of course, a means 
that's good for one may not be good for all. So, you know, that's, that's, that's it. And everyone has a personal stake that ends, you know, that, that ends could personally impact someone in a completely more profound way than someone else, you know, so they're, they're always going to, for them, it's always going to outweigh the mean. Um, but yes, yes, yes. He says yes. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. To quote. What, what, what I, I, all I say is that is that he's uh, writing down again. <laughs> well, no, that's end and list. I, which means and which ends? I mean, like you know, like you know, I, I think instead of saying do the means justify the ends, it should say like you know, the means should be appropriate to the ends. You know, like the. Mm -hmm. the period like the means should be appropriate to the ends like you know and and um, that's it i mean like what happened what need to be done and it should be like that's why i said like you steal my bike i'm gonna come back after you i'm gonna steal your bike and i'm gonna steal an ice cream cone not i'm gonna steal your bike and i'm going to he wants to come out ahead is what he's saying this is not a zero-sum game for me all right so you don't do it again so I'm not gonna go steal your bike and I'm gonna steal your linens and I'm gonna steal your bed and I'm gonna steal your couch. No, that's excessive. That's excessive. Okay, right. but, yeah, but, but, but what Gandhi but, said, but, 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 I have an eye makes the yeah, whole yeah. world blind. Where does it stop? I mean, if you take the ice cream I'm gonna cone take the your bike, eye and, and then I'm gonna poke you in the other one. He took my eye, I'm gonna take your eye and then poke you in the other eye. You know, so, so little, you know, is that really enough to discourage them from coming back at you? <laughs> you know, maybe you do have to rough. You know, Immanuel Kant is the only philosopher who philosophers pretty much rec recognize came the closest to a universal system of ethics or morality. Uh, because there is none. But but Kant, they say, came to clo the closest. He had the categorical imperative, and he said, a person is an ends unto themselves, not a means. So in other words, we treat the subject as subject, not the subject as an object. We don't look at another person in a utilitarian way. We respect the dignity, the sentience of that individual. I, I've always embraced that. And I know Matt's probably going to tell me I'm high on drugs or something for saying that. But <laughs> I've always kind of, I've kind of admired it. There is, there is a naivete to it, I suppose, but there's Gene, also a logic. Gene, can I borrow your bike? You could. I would let you borrow my bike. You're not getting it back. I can do. <laughs> That's mean. Now, see, now you've just violated the Kantian categorical imperative. This guy never had sex all his life just to kind of come now up what? with this one concept. Now what? Now what? Now what? Now what? Now what? Well, I have to wear black and crepe sole shoes and come back to your house and grab it while you're sleeping. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I, you, so you know, you, you gave me Kant. I just gave you. I gave you. You know, the you gospel. Gave me Jaguar. Jaguar. <laughs> the gospel of Sadiq. Now we have other questions. We have to remember that we have other questions. But you wanted to say something, Matt, because I don't want to cut you off. I mean, no, I'm saying like you know, like you know, like you know, take your bike. You know, what I mean, like uh, you know. I'll just sneak and take it back. Okay, it's mine. That is what I've been saying. Like, see, so, like putting practical. But you're also taking an ice cream cone, and you're also maybe yeah. you're relishing a little bit. Of well, and you know, impact versus intent, right? Like, or you know, like my, my intentions are irrelevant. My impact is what it is. You know, what I mean, like you know, I, would agree. I take a bike and a pen. That's it. That's it. That's it. We're done. <laughs>
not excessive. He's going to continue his list with that pen, David. He's going to continue his list. I saw him writing it while we were talking. He's got it going all the time. I'm kind of scared. <laughs> you know, I just, you know, and then you don't have to like, you know, you don't have to. But I admire your sense of justice. Indeed, I do. Especially when it's me. <laughs> Especially when it's me. Oh. What other comments and questions do we have here? I want to. I'm curious. Let me, let me see. I have to like let me, let me mute this so that I can I can see. The thing I'm... is, um, yes, the dad's worries make him so often oblivious to those around him. He often comes off as a jerk. That was from our friend uh, Doug. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I I think that's that's kind of true. He does he he gets lost in this, um, and even before, yeah, just from the very beginning, ignoring his wife with the pails of water at first, um, yeah, and then he also writes the mathematics of hopes and dreams. I love that. Love the Rita Hayworth poster. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's. He yeah. had it all calculated, you know, how he could succeed. And, and yeah. that was part of the heartache of it that, you know, his hopes could be calculated that way. And economically, I mean, again, you know, the economy serves not to uplift the family, but rather to, to separate them, you know, because all of those worries wouldn't be necessary if we were more equal, right? right. So those are good points, definitely. And I agree. I liked your point, David, about the 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 numeric, you know, the numeric breakdown of the dream. You know, yeah. it's really I've done that too myself. So <laughs> it's and it, it often doesn't go the way you more. expect. Yeah. 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 Art especially is like that too. Art rarely goes the way you would expect. Thank goodness, but it does make for an interesting but challenging life for sure. So I, you know, Bicycle Thieves, a neorealist classic. Um, we're at uh, an hour and thirty-seven at this point. Um, so David, did we resolve what's going to happen next week? Is Ilya going to come back? Uh, no, yeah, we haven't gotten a firm answer yet. I believe uh, Ileana Carter, um, um, the star of the film Cry Now and the TV film uh, Walk Out, um, also uh, now involved in casting. Um, very cool in uh, different productions. Um, I believe she will be joining us next week. Uh, at, le at least that's the plan. We'll see what happens. Um, and hopefully she will pick another film. Uh, Matt has, it's actually Matt's uh, week. It's your week next week. And you've been gracious enough to, uh, to offer that spot. Um, we really enjoyed watching this film. And, and we hope that some of you did, in, uh, did watch it with us. Um, if not, we, we hope, you know, that you will, um, based on our conversation, decide to watch the film. Um, definitely do that. And uh, yeah, we usually do introduce the film for next week, but right now we are waiting and excited to see what uh, Ileana uh, uh, replies. And, um, and you'll definitely see postings on that on this video. So check the comment sections uh, either later today, next couple of days, we'll have the image um, shared of what that uh, movie will be. Yeah. Closing thoughts, everybody. Yeah. Uh, it's you know, it's the Bicycle Thieves is 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 a, is a masterpiece. It's a really great um, picture. It's, it's it'll break your heart. It's also um, 
you know, it's also, it's also, you know, um, you know, a pretty, pretty damning picture of the world uh, that most of us live in. So, um, so it's a, it's a masterpiece. It's, it's a claim for the, you know, all the reasons that have been uh, said and uh, to watch it. That's what piece. I agree with Matt. I think it's an absolute masterpiece. I think it's a triumph of cinema. I felt so deeply about it. And I actually recognized a lot of the parts of Rome that still exist in the movie. I've walked there and, and it's very, the neorealism is neorealism for a reason. Um, if, if anything, if I can walk away with any sense of hope from this movie, it's that even though we don't see the, the Disney ending, thank goodness, the, the, the miraculous uh, success of Antonio, we do see him walking with his son hand in hand. And so I guess that that is maybe one hopeful message that togetherness is really our greatest, uh, is ultimately going to be our greatest success because we can't necessarily control the world around us. Certainly now is a great example of that. So if there's one thing I walk away, hopefully with hope, um, holding that hope is that we, we go through it together, that, that it doesn't ultimately separate us. And definitely highly recommend, the cinematography is really fascinating. And like David brought up the music too, this movie is in my opinion, a must see. And it, it, it moved me very, very profoundly. And so I really recommend it, yeah. Um, yeah, like Gene was saying, the cinematography to this film is profound. Uh, you know, one might expect a lot of um, handheld shots or things of that nature to convey. When we think of documentary very often, when we say that something is filmed in a documentary-like style, that's what we're referring to. And there's actually not a lot of that. There's actually not a lot of steady cam, handheld, you know, that, that kind of stuff here. What we do get are wide-angle shots in real locations, play parts of Rome that other filmmakers would choose not to film. The more rundown, more um, plain looking uh, parts, still gorgeous, uh, even, you know, from that, just the, the, the architecture of Rome is such um, that even the rundown buildings look beautiful. But that in reconciling that, that that is a visible sign of decay, of poverty, of, um, of all of these uh, factors on screen portrayed to us, and just action happening, non-actors. And, and even though this film was incredibly planned out, uh, for example, we have fake rain uh, going in one of the scenes, that that was all staged, that you know, was, was created uh, as it was in Rashomon, that there are still improvised moments in this film. For example, I learned that when Bruno is crossing the street on one of those times and almost gets run over by a car, that was not staged. He almost literally did get run over by a car. So that is neo-realism on <laughs> in the frame. Um, so that's that's magical. That's really something when you think about film, that that's something, um, you know, that that's part of the magic of cinema, of low-budget filmmaking, is that unexpected things, when you have no budget or very little of a budget, uh, you know, uh, spontaneity, magic uh, can enter into the frame. And I think deciding to keep it. So I think I think this film uh, is full of those moments and is a perfect blending of something that's planned out and something that happens spontaneously. And I think the plot uh, and the emotional core of the movie is such that it will be one that 
multiple or people from multiple sides of this issue that everyone could relate to this plot in in some way um because there they're very obviously is this uh, message that would apply to uh, people on the left, um, but also people on the right could relate to it because they could see, you know, this thing about these, this uh, neighborhood supporting the bicycle thief and all of these antics and whatnot as some kind of justification. So you could see what a powerful film that this must have been coming out of the, the post-war era and, and having just come through fascism and that, that people could be arguing, okay, we need to go in the complete opposite direction of that. Or you could also have people saying, okay, see, this movie shows why fascism was better. You know, that this, we need order restored. Order has been lost. Because people thought more that the, the, the allies winning World War II would lead to a greater morality, but then you still have these economic uh, catastrophes that make right. it very difficult to implement the so-called new morality. And, you know, I wanted to mention something else because you were talking too about the cinematography, David. One more thing is that I noticed that this movie was very laden with POV shots, mm. which you did not see a lot of in this era. A mm. lot of things, aside from Orson Welles, Citizen Kane, a lot of things were still almost shot like a play. Oh, right, right. Audiences. But this, you had a lot of POV shots. So from a cinematography perspective, you were right, it's not shot like a traditional documentary where we, the audience, would be simply watching what's happening. We saw a lot of the characters' perspectives reflected in the cinematography in this film in a way that a lot of other films had not yet. We, we take that for granted now, but that was not a common thing in 1948. So that's very, uh, very interesting, I think, and quite, again, leading to the triumph and the, and the kind of the masterpiece element of this film that it really broke a lot of ground. So, yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah, good job, guys. That was really interesting. I loved it. I really did. Thanks, thanks, Ileana. I know you're absent from us right now, but <laughs> with us in spirit, good, yeah. good pick, good pick. Yeah. And we hope you got your job and we hope no one stole your car or bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> Or I don't know, I can relate. And if they did talk to Matt, if they did talk to Matt, he has a list.